It's the voting ban. Yes, the voting ban is here. It's the voting ban to take you to the polling place. So let's all get on the van right now. Four years have passed. It's time again to stage the main event. <laughs> yeah, Election Day, if you can believe this is in one week. Next Tuesday is Election Day in Oklahoma. There's a state question on the ballot to expand Medicaid. There are also school board and city council races in many communities, along with primary races and some state house and senate seats. Politics has always been a geography game, but especially these days when many districts are either strongly Democrat or Republican, which means in many districts, the party's primary election will decide the ultimate winner. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, I speak with Trey Savage of Nondoc about which races he's most interested in watching on Election Day. I also speak with two candidates in a rural Senate district in South Oklahoma, where the Republican senator is facing two primary challengers. When there are multiple candidates from the same party, how do you differentiate yourself? And what does it look like to run as a Republican candidate in rural Oklahoma these days? When the Frontier became a nonprofit in late 2016, one of the driving factors behind that decision was the idea that we wanted to create journalism for every citizen in Oklahoma. That meant we could take down our paywall, and no longer would there be a barrier between our stories and the public who want to read them. At the Frontier, we believe in providing a voice to Oklahomans who feel powerless, who feel taken advantage of. So we felt like it was a disservice to do journalism in support of the voiceless, and then hide their story behind a paywall they couldn't afford to bypass. The flip side is that it still costs money to fund and grow a newsroom. That's where you come in. When you donate to The Frontier, you not only support our newsroom and our reporters, you support your fellow Oklahomans who want to be informed about their state, but don't have the means to afford to pay for that news. If you value our work at The Frontier, I'd invite you to leave a donation at readfrontier.org. Even a few dollars a month, goes a long way in supporting the kind of journalism that we feel like our state needs now more than ever. Senate District 43 includes parts of Garvin, Grady, McLean, and Stevens counties in Southern Oklahoma. And its current Senator is Senator Paul Scott, who is completing his first term. It's a solidly Republican district. And on Tuesday, Scott faces two challengers in his primary, Katie Keith, and Jessica Garvin. Garvin is an assisted living administrator who launched her campaign last year to unseat Scott. I spoke with her this week as election day approached and started by asking her why she decided to run in the first place against an incumbent. Well, and to be honest, I was very heavily recruited to run. Um, there, I, I didn't realize that people don't always pick politics and that politics oftentimes picks people. Um, I think that there were just a, a number of people in our in our district from the northern part to the southern part that were ready for a change. And um, so when I started getting recruited to run, people were kind of giving me their reasons. And 
you know, after spending a lot of time praying about it and just really um, getting the opinion of people that I respected, uh, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. I just didn't want to be someone who always complained about something and didn't, you know, do something about it. I think that so many people just want to take the easy way out and, you know, just be kind of like Facebook warriors, if you will. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted to put my frustrations into action. So, well, so you talk about your, your own frustrations. What were some of those frustrations that you had? Um, I just didn't feel like we were being um, represented in a positive light. And I felt like we needed to have someone that had ethical and professional behavior in the seat to better represent our district. And so, um, you know, my frustration really was that I didn't see a lot getting done, um, you know, from um, my perspective. And so I just felt like somebody had to... uh, had to do something about it. And quite frankly, there were three other people that I had heard of that were planning on running against Senator Scott. And when I reached out to those people and said, why are you doing this? Every single one of them said they, w- they wanted to unseat the incumbent. And I don't think that that is a good reason to run for state Senate. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like they had the, they had similar frustrations, but they didn't have the passion behind the public service. Mm-hmm. And so that was my concern was that we would have someone in office that, yeah, they wanted to do something about it, but they had the wrong motivation. You know, so many people are familiar with what it looks like when a Republican runs against a Democrat because those are kind of the races that get a lot of the most attention. But in this primary where you have, I mean, there's three on the ballot, but between yourself and, and Senator Scott, both from the same party, I'm curious, so what does it, what does it mean for you to run as a Republican against another Republican? I mean, how, how, are, you, how are you differentiating yourself against the incumbent? Because I would imagine on, on many votes, you guys would probably be similar. I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but how, how are you, um, right. you know, setting yourself apart? What is it, I guess what I'm asking is for you, what does it mean to run as a Republican in 2020 in, in Southern Oklahoma? Number one, um, I think I understand business a little bit better. I know that, um, you know, Senator Scott is obviously a business owner and uh, I am as well. Um, I employ or manage companies that total over 300 people in the state, um, not just here in Senate District 50 or 43, but, um, you know, we have five different locations of my, with my hospice company here in Oklahoma. So I don't just employ people here. Um, so, you know, I just have a broader understanding of business. Um, the other thing, and probably the, the biggest reason that um, there's a huge difference between the two of us is, you know, we have to have somebody in office who who is open-minded and will be willing to work with people no matter what their political beliefs are. Um, you know, I, I think that there has been a history of name-calling and, and stuff like that, and that's just not who I am. Um, my parents have always taught me that you treat people the same no matter what their political beliefs are or their skin color or whatever the case is. And, you know, that's just something that's really important to me to be able to work with people no matter what they look like or what they think. You, you know, uh, you, 
healthcare is such an important issue, you know, especially in rural Oklahoma. And obviously that's an area that you've got a lot of experience in. Um, mm-hmm. First off, on, on election day, you'll also be sharing the ballot with the state question to expand Medicaid. Uh, what, mm-hmm. are your, what are your thoughts on that? How will you be voting on that issue? Well, you know, I'm a full supporter of Medicaid expansion, which I know is not the good, I'm putting this in quotation marks, the good Republican answer necessarily. But I, you know, growing up in healthcare, having a dad that works for a, a rural hospital, um, I think that we um, need to do it responsibly, expand Medicaid. Uh, we're, we're losing a lot of um, financial assistance in Oklahoma. However, I'm really worried about putting it into the Constitution because it's very difficult to get something out of the Constitution. Um, and I, I believe that if we have a budget revenue loss or, you know, we're having a shortfall like we will next year, I worry about finding the resources to fund that. And so, you know, we see all the time, whenever we don't have enough money, we take it away from education or long-term care or public safety or infrastructure, roads, bridges, whatever. We're going to have to come up with that money somewhere. And so I'm just afraid that if it passes, that we will have to take money from somewhere that's a core service like education. And we just can't afford that in Oklahoma. So. Um, so that's my fear. I mean, although I do support it, I feel like the better option is to do it through legislation. So you don't, you don't uh, necessarily agree with this particular vehicle. So you you won't vote for this state question, but you're but you but you're interested in a, in expansion in, in a different form. Right. I you know I I still think that I have some. I still, my, my gut is saying no, but I am still open-minded to someone changing my mind. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that unless someone can really do some convincing, <laughs> I'll probably vote no. No, that's interesting. I mean, you've been clear in how you think right now, but you, we're, uh, you're used to hearing candidates who are, who, are, who are firmly in one camp or the other. It's interesting that even just a few days before the election, you're, will, you're willing to say you know, this is how I think, but I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed to changing my mind if I, if I learn, learn new information. Yeah. You know, I think that that's what makes good legislators. I think that, um, I think that you have to be open-minded and, and, you know, I've done, I've done research both ways and, and I'm, like I said, my gut instinct is no. Um, and it has to be some very compelling information, (laughs) but you know, I think that um, it's important for people to know that I'm not one of those people that just says no or says yes without really putting thoughtful, uh, you know, putting time into, in, into a thoughtful answer. Earlier this week, I also spoke with Senator Scott. As you'll hear, it took a little convincing. A few years ago, I wrote about how Scott's x-ray business was awarded a contract from the Oklahoma Department of Veteran Affairs, which was a possible conflict of interest. He remembered the story, but eventually agreed to speak with me. Yeah, Mr. Scott, I don't know if you remember, we've talked before, but it was when I was back at the Oklahoma and I'm at the frontier now. I wanted to know if I might be able to ask you a couple questions about your campaign. No, not at this time. I remember some of your reporting before. So okay, would you mind explain? I have I have interviewed your opponent. I would love to give you a voice. What What do you want? What do you want to ask? 
Well, I just want to ask you about your campaign, kind of how it's going, kind of what issues you're hearing from voters. Well, it's going outstanding, really. I mean, I've doorsteps, um, phone calls, meetings, meet and greets, out in public. I'm seeing great support, and I've seen very, very uh, little resistance on my part. Um, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, I want to look and appear positive. But uh, but uh, things are positive. Things are going well. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the issues uh, that I'm looking you know, for in the future, of course, is going to be, you know, our health care, um, continuing to look at our educational system to get better outcomes in both health care and education. Health is our mental health is struggling in Oklahoma for the past several years. So, you know, I've been working um, with uh, with some people here at Duncan Regional Hospital in the mental health uh, areas, um, talking to them about some issues they see on a day to day basis and maybe even look at doing an interim study. You know, talking about healthcare, I mean, it's something you, you, you know about, you work in, you work in that sphere and, and in a community like yours, mm-hmm. I mean, local, local hospital mm-hmm. and health system is so important. Uh, you know, what are the biggest challenges facing, you know, healthcare providers in, in your district? Um, well, the biggest uh, challenge is that um, in Duncan and Stevens County, we have a huge um, drug and alcohol um, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, there's not really any place to go here in Duncan to receive counseling or help with addiction. Um, there's, um, you know, mental health services are lacking. So, you know, in rural Oklahoma in general, we need to start looking at how can we get um, more resources um, out to the rural communities to help with addiction services and mental health um, issues. How important do you think it is for your district to have, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, being an incumbent, you've got that experience and, you know, we all know experience, uh, you know, it takes, it can take a couple terms to kind of, kind of get the kind of experience that, uh, you know, translates into real results for your district. I mean, how, how important do you think that is for your district to have, you know, consistency in this seat right now, especially as you're talking about some of these, these challenges you face? Well, um, I think it's extremely important. I think that over the last four years, um, you know, experience, for me, leads to relationships that I've built. Um, I was able to help a World War II veteran get into a memory care unit uh, and get the treatment that he needed. Um, The first phone call I made was to the governor's cell phone. The second call was to Secretary Mike Rogers' cell phone. And then the third call, um, I called uh, the governor's um, assistant. And uh, within... 30 minutes, all three of them had called me back, and they were all three working on this on on a Wednesday. And by Friday, the governor was announcing that there's going to be new rules and they're going to be opening up um, nursing homes and uh, and have new protocol on Monday. So experience matters because of the relationships that I've built throughout the, the with the agency directors, agency heads, um, all the way to the governor. Each election, the online news site nondoc.com covers legislative races with detailed candidate profiles. Trey Savage is the site's editor-in-chief, and I asked him to join me on this week's podcast to provide a rundown of which primary races across the state he found most interesting. We also discussed State Question 802, 
which if approved on Tuesday, would expand Medicaid in the state. All right, so Trey, it's election day, which is kind of your your time to shine, right? I mean, you guys do a lot of good things over at Nondoc, but elections, it seems like uh, the run-up, you guys are always producing a lot of uh, candidate profiles on many races, not even not just the big headliners. Yeah, um, folks can go to nondoc.com, N-O-N-D-O-C.com, and then right at the top, there's a little link to a page that goes to nondoc.com forward slash Oklahoma-elections, and we've kind of... Uh, divided up uh, the different categories. And we've done a lot of primers on legislative seats, as you said. And it's actually interesting. I mean, I feel it. And we've got like 13 more to get out in the next three days. But our interns are doing a great job uh, leading some of that, as well as the rest of the team. And it's really interesting because I was thinking, man, we've got a lot of these to do. There's a lot of really interesting races. And then I realized like 48 members of the legislature were automatically reelected without, you know, anybody challenging them. So I can only imagine if, if this was, you know, um, maybe a more competitive year. But, yeah, there's a lot of interesting races, uh, m- largely in the rural areas for the for the runoffs. Um, we started by prioritizing doing primers over races where the Republican primary is it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few races like that, not just in the legislature, but um one race functionally like that that we're hoping to have a story up on in the next day or two is the Cleveland County Sheriff's election. Uh, I think there's four Republicans and then a Libertarian who I don't believe has very much of a a public-facing profile or anything like that. So functionally, you know, who's going to run that law enforcement agency, who's going to run that jail uh, is is being decided on Tuesday. And, you know, uh, right now, Archie Brown, who works for us, is is interviewing those candidates and is going to have a story kind of about what they think and what they're running on just because we felt like, man, people need to know who these people are before they go on Tuesday and and select who's going to run the jail. Yeah. At primary elections are usually, they don't get a lot of attention, not as much as a general election. And especially this year, it seems like it just kind of creeped up on everyone because of the pandemic and then the the protests we've seen over the last few weeks. But, But some people are probably familiar with a few races. So let's start with one that many, especially in central Oklahoma, may be somewhat aware of, even if they're not going to be voting. And that's the 5th Congressional District. So a Democrat, Kendra Horn, who flipped the seat two years ago, was waiting to find out who her challenger is. She does have a primary, but assuming she makes it past the primary, which a lot of people expect, um, she's waiting to find out who her primary or her general election opponent will be. You've got the conventional wisdom seems to be, and and correct me if you think it's different, but uh, that uh, state senator Stephanie Bice and someone else are going to advance to an August runoff. What's your take on the CD5 Republican primary? Well, um, you know, Club for Growth has come in and run some ads against Bice in the last week. And so, as you said, conventional wisdom would indicate that people have polling then that shows that she's doing doing pretty well. Um, you know, we did a, a debate with five of yeah. the GOP uh, CD5 candidates last on, I guess, June 18th, whatever day that was. Um, and it feels like a year ago. And uh, it was interesting. Um, I don't know that we... I don't know that anybody really separated themselves. Um, I hadn't ever really interacted with David Hill before, so I thought he had a good debate because he he seemed um, calm and, and comfortable in his own skin. Somebody told me later that he, he said, I'm just going to be myself tonight. And uh, But I thought Senator Bice had a, a good debate as well. She got kind of attacked a little bit uh, for uh, abortion stuff and... and um, we asked every candidate, uh, you know, a, a kind of a direct question about their record at the end. And so, again, that's something that folks can go to um, go to our website and look for CD5 races. 
or, or coverage and the the debate, the full debate, if you want to watch 90 minutes of it, is in there. But, you know, uh, Janet Barisi, uh, you know, has experience in name ID. Um, Terry Neese has a lot of endorsements from sort of a older conservative uh, base. She's been on TV a lot, so I think a lot of people felt like, you know, she was had a good chance of making a runoff just because she's been on TV the most. Um, but then at the same time, I think that, you know, some people think that maybe Barisi and Nice need to broaden their support out from just that, that very strong conservative, um, you know, base. I don't know. I mean, I think people are trying to make the runoff. And uh, I think that if you're not, you know, resigned to the fact that there's going to be a runoff, I, you know, that would be interesting to me. But um, so then that becomes interesting. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, Kinder Horn is, is just hoping that people spend more money in a runoff and, and go from there. But we're going to try to do, uh, you know, a runoff debate if there is one. And then uh, last year in 2018, I guess, last cycle, we did the only um, general election debate between then Congressman Russell and now Congresswoman Horn. And so, uh, you know, we think that people should have a chance to see their candidates up close and personal, answering some questions from journalists, not from the random people in the crowd. And go from there. But yeah, uh, what what other races? I mean, there's there's a couple other. We can go into the legislative stuff. There's some interesting things there. Sure. So yeah, and the House and Senate races. What are some of the ones that you're going to be looking at first when when results start coming in? Yeah. So um, it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of Republican primaries, um, and so let's start with not one. Um, the most interesting Democratic primary, I think, uh, right now, unless I'm forgetting one, is the. HD 99 race between uh, incumbent rep A.J. Pittman and uh, challenger Susan Porter, who um, is uh, the daughter of a longtime state senator uh, on the east side of Oklahoma City, predominantly black community. Um, that race is really interesting. A lot of people, there's some some strong uh, kind of church support, I think, from people for, for uh, Representative Pittman. People knew her mother, um, and she has a lot of allies uh, in that community. But there's also some people who, you know, wanted a little bit maybe more fresh blood and some folks who were supportive of Income House and HD 99 in 2018 are, you know, uh, behind Ms. Porter. And there's also uh, two separate uh, independent expenditures um, playing. And my understanding is that, uh, well, or I, I know that the big issue involved in that independent expenditure is actually uh, sort of a fight between, uh, you know, what you might consider like a, a factions of the Republican Party. Um, it's really about school choice. Mm. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's a belief that, that Representative Pittman is, is more likely to support uh, school choice. And then there's a, maybe a belief that, that Ms. Porter would be more likely to support uh, traditional public schools and oppose uh, more likely to oppose things like charter and things like that. I haven't seen them talk on those issues a whole lot. I have, you know, represented Pittman a little bit, but the ads and from my understanding, the talk behind the scenes of who's supporting whom, that's kind of breaking down along those lines. And it's really interesting because you have a giant split. You, you probably know this, Ben, uh, you know, covering education as you do. You have a huge split in the Democratic constituency around the country mm -hmm. on school choice, particularly charter uh, schools. Uh, the, the charter school polling numbers, and, you know, again, these are off the top of my head, very rough estimates. But, uh, you know, um, I, think, I think white Democrats, uh, you know, with a college degree 
have a, a strong majority opposing charter schools. And then uh, I believe African-American Democrats have a uh, strong openness to mm-hmm. charter schools because they, you know, that community would, would more often say, well, the traditional public school system has failed yeah. our community for decades. You know, if you look at what happened in Northeast Oklahoma City with, with Northeast High School, you know, before the pathway to greatness and moving class and SAS over there and everything like that, there was an application to make Northeast into a charter school because people wanted local control. So it's not really talked about a whole ton in democratic politics, but there is a big difference of opinion on on uh, education and, and the idea of non-traditional public schools. So I'd said that about the democratic race just because we're in Oklahoma City. That's kind of interesting. Republican races... You have a sort of a far right group of, of, of you know, even abortion anti- abolitionists. I believe the, the website is ekkok.com. If you want to go, uh, it says click here to volunteer for an abolitionist campaign. Uh, Joseph Silk, senator yeah. from Broken Bow, uh, state senator, is running for CD2 in eastern Oklahoma, challenging Mark Wayne Mullen because. Uh, for some people, Mark Wayne Mullen isn't conservative enough, right? So he's kind of leading that campaign. Then you've got Warren Hamilton challenging uh, Senator Larry Boggs in, I believe it's Senate District 17 in, in eastern Oklahoma. Um, then you've got uh, a challenger in SD 45 um, and a couple other people as well. Uh, I'm looking for one in particular. Yeah, Brenda Angel. We just have a piece up this morning about... HD 18 in McAllister, and it's a really interesting three-way GOP primary that's going to decide the the seat unless somebody doesn't get 50% above. You have incumbent David Smith, who essentially didn't run much of a campaign in 2018, right? He, he like Logan Phillips in eastern Oklahoma, he beat an incumbent Democrat uh, running a campaign that essentially involved putting a few signs out, and I think it said something like, Smith's Second Amendment or Smith Guns. I mean, li- literally, that I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't mean to be specific with it. but So he was sort of an unknown, very quiet guy, um, you know, pretty reserved. And, uh, you know, I, I think that some people would say, boy, we, you know, we'd like to have somebody a little more known and, and uh, experienced in that kind of race. Well, then Brenda Angle is, um, a, an, ab- uh, is a, an abolitionist candidate. Um, who is, you know, pretty, pretty conservative, uh, you know, and again, this is a Republican primary, so that's probably pretty good, but she's got a degree from a Bible college in Broken Arrow. Uh, Angela Engel, I'm sorry, describes herself as a devout Christian and writes that she has also been a Sunday school teacher and helped excavate fossils for the Creation Evidence Museum. So um, Blake Douglas, our intern, went down the rabbit hole of her campaign, um, and she's got like a pretty interesting YouTube video. And there's a guy named Brecken Wagner, who's, uh, if Beard were votes, he'd win. And uh, he's an attorney, um, and he's very much for criminal justice reform. But I don't know, there's some talk, is that, you know, does that play in Pittsburgh County, where they've had a lot of, um, you know, issues with, with crime recently? Uh, you know, so that's an interesting race in and of itself. And then you've got literally... A dozen or two dozen other ones, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like that. And and to to take it, um, I, you know, I probably need to go write the Watumpka uh, preview, right, for HD twenty four, which Logan Phillips is is being challenged in. Um, but then you've got, you know, uh, an open seat in Southwest Oklahoma uh, between a couple people. You've got the open seat that Perryman had uh, in Chickasha, that area. Um, you've got a Panhandle seat where there's a cha- somebody challenging uh, Kenton Patikowski. 
you've got just some some really interesting races all over in Tulsa. Uh, you know, let's not leave that out. We've got SD thirty five, which is an open seat. That's going to be a that's a big crowded Republican primary. Uh, and then there's uh, Senator Dossett's sister is running in the Democratic primary as well. So that's going to be a big race all the way through November. Um, I'm trying to remember if there's other big. Uh, I mean, I guess I've got it right here on my freaking website. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I know. I, I know one that's getting a lot of attention, and I just it, one I read about this week: House District 88, Dunnington, right, and, and Turner. I mean, of Dunnington, course, an incumbent, and, and a well-known incumbent. Which is kind of when you when you look at this race, you would kind of expect. Uh, you know, Dunnington, who is completing, who just completed his six years, so his, his third term, I believe that's right, um, and hasn't had a challenge in the last couple ones. You know, won a primary his first time to get elected for an open seat. Kay Floyd was moved over to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's facing uh, Maury Turner, who has got a lot of traction. And, you know, some of the modeling I've seen is showing that to be a pretty close race. She's gotten some pretty good endorsements from some, some local politicians who've had some success like Joe Beth Hammond on the Oklahoma City Council and, nice, and so yeah. yeah Nikki Nice and so that I think that one's really kind of fascinating to watch because mm-hmm. here you have a, an, you know an incumbent who's well known you know out of all the members of the Democratic caucus other than uh, the minority leader virgin he's probably one of the most you know seen on television often quoted in, in newspapers um, and has pushed forward some some pretty progressive legislation in, in the recent past but Turner is running to his left saying that this seat uh, needs an even more progressive uh, representative in the House. Yeah, um, the it's interesting. You, it's actually that seat is where we both live. Well, well, yeah, and we've we've done a podcast on this before that I vote and you don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that that we could we could revisit that. It'd be kind of interesting. Um, so with that, it is my representative. I want to be very you know I'm trying to be always cautious yeah. of how I talk about these things. But yeah, I mean Dunnington has been a uh, an incumbent who's kind of high profile, but he's also had a couple high profile. I guess you would say uh, social media blunders. Yeah. Um, you know, he I, I, th- I think he had that uh, infamous uh, tweet or Facebook post uh, uh, that said that that Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump were the same or something like that. And, uh, you know, don't quote me. But um, what it was, yeah. and, and, and and on the one hand, I, I think, you know, nuance is key, right? Like because you could certainly argue that that they had some, a similar appeal. Uh, as you know, outsiders and shake up the establishment in 2016, but I don't think that's what he tweeted, right? So, so that's made some people mad. He was he was big on compromise when the GPT fight was going on, um, you know. And I think that if you look, the the Democratic Party has you know virtually abandoned rural Oklahoma uh, in terms of recruiting and filing candidates. I mean, no nobody filed for HD1 in McCurtain County uh, and down in, in southeastern Oklahoma, where, where I think there's still like a 57, 43 percent registration advantage for Democrats wow. or something like that. Right. So uh, nobody they had one Democrat file in HD56, uh, which was a uh, uh, Perryman seat. The other uh, rural Democrat in the House that existed was Ben Loring uh, up in the, the northeastern quadrant or quarter of the state. And uh, that that guy Steve Ballmer, or what, that's that's not the right name, but it, it, whatever his name is, Bash Baysmore, Bashmore. He was a he's the former boxing commissioner of the state. He won as a Republican, and nobody filed against him. Open seat. Loring said he wasn't going to go, and not a single person filed. You yeah. know, so I don't mean to say like, I, I mean I I don't see how you would say it any other way than the party has abandoned. Uh, parts of, of rural Oklahoma, right? Just not filing candidates in open races. 
uh, not finding candidates to file. And I get it because it's hard. Trump's on the ballot. I mean, how are you going to, you know, are you going to really mm -hmm. spend a lot of time? But at the same time, the old argument would be that the, the way the Democratic Party has won seats like Dossett and Rosecrans and things that went from Republican to Democrat was you got somebody in the seat. They ran in a special election. Maybe they ran a second time, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm no politico, so I'm not trying to say it, it, it's you, I'm not trying to second guess anybody. But I say all that to say this. I think there's a view that the urban seats that do exist need to be held by, you know, some true progressive mm -hmm. folks. And um, I think that that is sort of the vibe I get from Ms. Turner's campaign. I've gotten, now that said, Dunnington's an incumbent. He's got a lot of endorsements from his fellow House Democrats because uh, that's also kind of what you do, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, you don't turn your back on somebody, even though he's clashed with his caucus uh, before. So that's going to be kind of interesting. I think I've gotten like six or seven mailers from Dunnington, and I've gotten two or three from Turner. Uh, and I'm getting Facebook uh, ads from them both. And then I'm also getting Facebook ads from uh, Pittman and and um, Porter because I am in the zip code that crosses bound. Anyway, so uh, I say all that. It's pretty interesting. I, I have never... Uh, gotten to, we're going to have a primer on 88 that, that links and references to your article as well as Carmen Foreman from the Oklahoman wrote one as well. So that's in, that'll come out either tomorrow or Saturday. Um, but, I, you know, that's an interesting race uh, because I think that, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, center and left in, in that area are, you know, in theory uh, going to be, you know, open to both of those candidates. And I, it, it'd be, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I know Dunnington from working up here and, and I have not, uh, I got a, a note on, on Ms. Turner's mailer that said she wasn't knocking doors owing to COVID, but yeah. call at any point and, you know, been underwater. But, um, it, I'll be interested to see that's a, that's a tight race as well. Um, one last thing on the legislative races, uh, and, and I think that's one of the, I think that's the main challenge of an incumbent for Democrats, if I'm not mistaken, but oh, th th those two. I'm sorry. Uh, but the the last thing I say is that I think there's also some. I I would watch closely on election night for some Republican Senate incumbents who are being challenged. I mentioned Hamilton challenging Boggs. You've got a guy challenging uh, Roland Peterson in the Enid area seat. Um, you've got a guy who used to be a district rep for the Farm Bureau challenging Michael Bergstrom up in northeastern Oklahoma in SD1. Um, you've got really two or three other uh, Senate seats. where uh, McCourtney in, in Ada area is being challenged by somebody who's like only issue is abortion. That's the only yeah. thing on the website, Paul basically. Scott Paul Duncan, Scott yeah. in Duncan, SD43. I've got to write that that deal. If one more person sends me his police report from Newcastle, <laughs> and I mean, like, literally, like, people are just mailing me this police yeah. report, and I'm like, I'm getting it to it, folks. So um, that teases people on, you know, something to come, right? But uh, but then, but then she's getting. They're also emailing me and criticizing her because she runs a, a long-term care home and and has been out knocking doors without. Yeah, and so they're mad that she's jeopardizing her patients. So you know that one's getting ugly. The normal stuff in the last week of uh, yeah. And then and then HD three, um, if if all caps rants were votes, Lundy Kiger would get reelected <laughs> in in HD three in Eastern Oklahoma. He's going against Rick West. Um, who who rocks a heck of a mustache, uh, and they are that's sort of the um, I don't know what you would say like I mean 
no one wants to be called a moderate in a Republican primary, God forbid, but you, you know, you have more of the pragmatic uh, Kiger and more of the, the strong conservative in West, and West voted against the teacher pay raise bill uh, or the funding for it in 2018. And, and the rumor has always been that he was basically told by his consultant, you have no chance of winning, so don't even file. And he didn't file. And then Kiger got out there and posted his uh, mugshot of his own face uh, 150 times on Facebook. And I guess Rick West decided to run again and it's gotten ugly. So we're going to have a little thing on that as well. Yeah. Well, real quick, we just got a couple minutes left here, but uh, Medicaid expansion also on the ballot. Um, you know, for most of the past year, the general thought was that it probably had a pretty decent chance of running. And I don't know if that's because it really does or because we can envision it becoming a reality that we feel like it has a good chance. I mean, compared to where we've been in the past several years where this has been a state that's just resisted expansion with everything it has. But right now, uh, you know, next Tuesday, Oklahomans are going to have a chance to approve expansion, something that the governor says that he's not for, something that many members of the legislature said they weren't for. The state chamber did come out and, and said that they backed this. So what are you, what's your feeling on, on this race? Is, is expansion, do you think, is likely to pass on Tuesday? Um, or do you think we're maybe uh, – people are a little bit overconfident for those that, that want to see it pass? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, OCPA just came out with an ad buy against it. I saw that ad for the first time last night. Uh, I mean, I think the polling has indicated it's going to happen. We, we are actually 10 minutes away from the governor's press conference about his Medicaid audit. Yeah. So I certainly anticipate he's going to come out and say, well, we found some fraud, yeah. you know, and, and it, maybe they did. I mean, for all I know, I mean, if we know anything about the healthcare system, it's that it doesn't really work that well. So, um, and that's like public, private, whatever. I mean, uh, you know, COVID has just exacerbated all of the numerous problems we have. Uh, we were just talking about trying to get uh, a COVID test, yeah. you know, uh, Day and and I I've I've had a couple uh, attempts in the last couple of years to go to you know get medical care and it's just a nightmare and so people are you know I I don't know whether people are really I think in rural areas they are really afraid enough um, of, of of you know they've seen hospitals closing they know that's a risk they've he they've heard about that in a way where you and I as residents of Oklahoma mm -hmm. City yeah, there's always going to be a hospital around here. Yeah. I, you know, we, we could swing a dead cat and hit a doctor's office. The yeah. question is, do they take my insurance? Uh, do they care? What's the you, what's my lab cost yeah. going to be? All, all those things. So metro area, but at the same time, if we looked at Drew Emerson, one Oklahoma County in 2018, you would think that metro area is going to be a little more moderate to liberal where people are going to say, we need to get Medicaid expansion. You know, the Oklahoma City Chamber has endorsed it. The Tulsa Chamber has endorsed it. The State Chamber has endorsed it. Cherokee Nation, Chickasaw Nation. So I think if if that, if if those endorsements plus your, you know, and the healthcare industry, obviously, uh, and, and the anticipated, you know, fact that it's been a rallying cry for Democrats in this state for the last few years, not not for a long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for a while, nobody wanted to talk about it. Yeah. For a while, the official position of the hospital association and, and a bunch of different people was, well, we don't talk about Medicaid expansion. We talk about a plan for Oklahoma, right? Joe Dorman, really, when he ran for governor in 2014, was really the first politician uh, in the state of Oklahoma to say, I'm going to openly call for Medicaid expansion. So uh, I say all that is that if now, now, looking at the group of people, the chambers and, and, and all the, that stuff, if it goes down, that means that Trump really has brought a lot of people out of the woods. 
and I'm, you know, to, to who, who normally don't vote and who are very conservative. Yeah. And it's possible. You yeah. know, um, well, state questions are hard. We've seen some that look like they're going right. to pass, and then you know, the last week is when you really see an intensified campaign for or against. I'm thinking right. about the uh, I can't remember the number, but seven, several seven, years nine, ago, the, the penny sales. Tax. Yeah, I mean that one right. a lot of people thought was going to pass, sure. and then you saw a lot of ads in the last week and a lot of questions raised. And Oklahomans, if they don't understand it, I mean it's probably true for most states, but if voters don't understand all the ins and outs, mm-hmm. they're they're even if it's an issue that sounds like you know that it's got a great tagline for a conservative state, they tend to just say, well, we're not going to pass it if we just don't completely understand it. Yeah. And I think by now people understand what yeah. we're talking about. Um, but again, I think it, I think there's different understandings of it for urban and rural areas. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. You can get the latest episodes by subscribing to the Listen Frontier podcast feed. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week.